but yeah so it's it's the it's the, it's the bookworm's life, I guess, is the best way of putting it. It's a, it's a bit of an adventure regardless. Um, a quarter's life might be more <laughs> yeah. accurate. Oh, gosh. Yeah, but, uh, we, we, we put our positive spin on it, but we, we know what's actually going on. It's just an inability to let go. And, like, going back to college, you know, it was um, – my, my degree was in English. Uh, so uh, I had a focus on Southern American literature – um so it was you know you'd get those like norton anthologies um that's like basically what you use when you're getting an english degree and it's like you know at the end of the semester all my friends would be selling their books back and it's like well i mean yeah i'm probably not going to read like the scottish poets of the 16th century again but if I want to like the, the bookstore is going to give me like 10 bucks for this so what's exactly. the point yeah, like, like the option. Thank you. Yeah. So so now that's, you know, if I and now if I ever need to go. Uh, the, one, of, one of the classes I took, um, I took uh, Irish drama. I remember that. Yes. And I've, I've probably got like 20 books of Irish plays. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever need those again. Like the, the chances are I probably won't. But. I have, like, I've pulled them off the shelf before and, and taken a look, um, and I just love having that option be there. Yeah, the uh, the joy of being able to pull out Samuel Beckett or Brendan Bien or uh, Eugene O'Neill is always, is always fun, because you never know when you're just going to be like that one good quip that's somewhere mm-hmm. in the play, and you just yeah. happen to remember it or have it, and then it's just like, you got it for when you need it. I... Um, love that my I wish that my textbooks had been that fun when I was doing my master's thesis it was um UK forecasting post-Brexit so I just had a lot of like this Tory party member thinks that everything's gonna be fine and this can um liberal party labor party member is saying no the world's gonna burn and it was just a stack of those so the second i was done writing they all got donated and i was like (laughs) i really hope no one actually has to read these again but like you know not taking these back to the u.s with me (laughs) yep i ever yeah so it's 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 the perpetual struggle um but i'm ready to get started if you guys are yeah let's get let's get going all right, give me one second. Um, hello, and welcome to another. Welcome back to another episode of Dark Waters, a literary podcast focused on dark fiction and those who love to read and write it. I'm Nate here, as always, with Kirsten. Hey. And our wonderful guest today, uh, Paul J. Garth. Hello. So Paul J. Garth is a best American mystery and suspense distinguished story author who has been published in Thuglet, Tough, Needle, a magazine of noir, Plots with Guns, um, Crime Factory, Rock in a Hard Place, and several other magazines. He lives and writes in Nebraska with his family, where he eats too many tacos, listens to too much heavy metal, no such thing, um, and enjoys just the right amount of bourbon. And edit- he's also an editor at Rock and a Hard Place and Shotgun Honey. He is at work on his first novel and can be found online by following at Paul J. Garth on Twitter. Is there anything else that our audience should be aware of uh, before we get before we get going, Paul? I think those are the I think those are the highlights. Yeah. yeah. Also, I disagree that there can be too much tacos or too much heavy metal. I just, I fundamentally that's, disagree. That's that's my take uh, as well. <laughs> but you know, I know I know that sometimes sometimes you gotta exercise a little moderation. So everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. 
that's that's the way that's the way it should be um but yeah no when i saw that when i uh when i read that bio i was just like this is gonna be a fun conversation <laughs> also when we read your initial tweet which uh talking about um looking for podcasts or publications to go to uh to promote the low white plane which is the book we're here to talk about today um and it talked it mentioned nazis the occult heavy metal and con artists and i think curse and i like I was with Kirsten when I saw that tweet and I just passed the phone over to her. I was like, we need to talk to this guy. <laughs> we need to talk to him. I think so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, we're, we're really excited to talk about the book. I was reading it earlier today and I will say one thing you grabbed, you grabbed my attention in a very short period of time. Uh, not only because the, the premise of the book is absolutely fantastic, but then you had a few lines in there like even within like the first few pages of the book that just like spoke to my soul and so thank you very much for writing this i'm very excited to talk about it yeah thank you yeah um that's i i guess you know everything we've talked about like um or everything that you've mentioned uh there's all this when when it came time to do this um all this shit was like really just pulled straight out of me. Like, um, you know, we talked about, like I've, I've had this obsession with like uh, interior Nazis because I live here and I know they're here for a long time. And I'm like, I need to see more of them reflected as like bad guys in the books I read. Um, you know, uh, I, I know another thing I mentioned in that tweet was like, this book would not have been possible if it weren't for the music that I was listening to and the feelings that it was creating in me. And then I think that comes out in the prose, like those lines that you talk about. Um, music makes me feel a very, very specific way. And I feel like my prose is always reaching to be a reflection of that. Yeah, it it definitely shows. I mean, one of the lines that really kind of grabbed me, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was discussing um, not it was discussing loneliness is not something that is there but is something that haunts you as something that is constantly chasing you regardless of what you do to avoid it and when i read that i was like i was not expecting to feel that kind of emotion this early in the morning but (laughs) here we are here Um, we are let me just pour some whiskey in my tea no big deal that's fine yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of what happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's ten thirty. I have not yet done that. Just you know, it's that vibe. It's that vibe. Oh, oh, oh! I definitely have. Um, I've I've had far too much coffee, and the only thing that's kind of like keeping me balanced right now is the amount of whiskey I poured into it. <laughs> you gotta balance the anxiety shakes of too much coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, it's, one it's, it's a little bit obvious. <laughs> You got to do the brunch special, right? Like the three drink thing where you got some water to like stay alive, coffee for caffeine, and then the fun drink. <laughs> I've, one of my dreams of, is going to like a DC brunch spot where they're all like fancy and everything's far too expensive and everyone's dressed in clothes that are way too nice for uh, a Sunday morning. Uh, and just like, like at the table, I just want the waiter to come up and be like, and hey, what would you have to drink? I was like, I want a shot of rail whiskey and a cup of black coffee. And they're like, <laughs> what? You heard me. Don't, don't, don't question this. You've heard me. <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta get out here to the Midwest, man. That's, that's the vibe we live off of. I, um, we both grew up in the Midwest. Oh, really? Where, where are you yeah, guys from? 
Uh, Illinois. I was from very rural Illinois, where near the Wisconsin border. Yeah, and I'm from I'm from Indiana. Not as not as rural as uh, some people might think, but I was. Uh, but I'm from like northern Indiana, like near Chicago, um, about an hour and a half outside of Chicago. Uh, so uh, I'm familiar with the Midwest, and I miss it sometimes. I've actually been meaning to get out to Omaha. So if I ever make it out that way, I'll hit you up. Yeah, let um, me know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I, I do miss, I do miss sections of that because Virginia for all of its, uh, somewhat virtues and problems, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's also got like some things that also like kind of grade on me, but uh, the Midwest is, is always going to be like a little bit of my home. Uh, I agree with you. That is absolutely the vibe is like, give me a shot and some black coffee. You, you, and you mentioned <laughs> one of the, one of the things that when I travel, always kind of astounds me um and you mentioned it specifically with brunch but i remember i remember living in texas i lived in texas for a couple of years uh and uh we were in austin and dallas i lived with my wife you know we'd go out on saturday night and we'd hit it hard right and then sunday morning was always like drag your ass from bed find the closest place that was serving breakfast tacos for cheap and then get another drink. Like that's just kind of how you had to do it. Uh, And we'd be walking past these fancy places and I'd see people like dressed really nicely to drink mimosas. And that just does not compute in my brain. Like, uh, and and I'm not saying I'm against day drinking. Um, I guess I would say I'm against waking up early and then getting dressed to go drink like that's just i don't know how people do it i have been that person before and let me tell you it is because of pre-planning because you have a reservation and that reservation has a cancellation fee that's what (laughs) well that, that makes a little more sense yeah it does and and dc dc is like a weird city of contradictions in that like people think about it as or some some people who who don't come here all that often can think of it as like very very buttoned up and very uh, professional esque. Like it's a bunch of like government employees or bureaucrats or things like that who who are always like going about in suit and tie. And to a degree, that's true. But it also has an attitude of like when we're not on the clock, we're gonna go hard. Um, yeah, it's 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 confusing at times because like I I see. I see people that are like, we're going to go hard and we're going to like go off the wall. and We're going to drink and do drugs and all that stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't hang out with those people, but I know of them. Um, and then there's also talk on social media of like, what are the best places to cry in public in DC? And I'm like, <laughs> this, this, is, this is an odd mix here. <laughs> like clearly the city has some unresolved issues. <laughs> um, see, but- I live in New York. You cry on the subway like a normal person. Then you get out, wipe it off, go. Get a Starbucks, go. Yeah, keep moving. You don't stop on the street. You do not put your men- make your mental crisis make someone else late. Like, keep going. Exactly. The, the Lincoln Memorial got a lot of shout outs, actually. It's a great place to cry in public. It's also a great place, apparently, to have a hookup at, like, three in the morning. And I'm like, this is not what we fought the Civil War for. This is not what Lincoln died for. The, the, wow. I, I didn't see that coming from the Lincoln Memorial. Like yeah. I assumed, maybe maybe the ground. Maybe the Jefferson the Memorial. Yeah. 
it's Jefferson. Uh, I could see condoning three a.m. hookups. Like, I, th- I think I think what it is is that because there's a lot of bushes that surround. <laughs> there's a lot of bu- uh, very tall bushes that surround uh, the Lincoln Memorial, and there's a lot of spots that are like kind of like it because of the way it's designed. It has like a lot of like weird back corners, um, where the Jefferson Memorial is just completely circular, so there's nowhere to hide. Um, it's also like on a very elevated platform that. Uh, has like a lot of stairs going up to it and then the washington monument the ground around that it's all manicured so there's nowhere to hide like you can't you can't pretend it's just like oh yeah like you know we're just like coming out of the bushes or whatnot no there are no bushes to hide in you're just there and you're just visible to god and everyone um all the all the young families that are just you know trying to get back to the hotel and then end up just like stumbling across something that they should never have seen as a small <laughs> child uh this is a weird town it's a weird place to live i'm not gonna I'm like I'm, I'm thankful i don't live in dc proper but i i um but it's it's an event to say the least um but let's to, get to know you a little bit better Paul. exactly like, yeah. our dc memorial make out rampage um we want to to know you a little bit better as a writer and a reader and an editor um and we want to hear more about your work but let's start by because this is what we do what do you normally classify under the header of dark fiction why do you love it what are you specifically looking for when you're looking for a new book in that genre that's such a good question um and i've i've i'll admit i've kind of been thinking about this uh when i knew this was coming uh, this interview is upcoming because I've listened to a couple of episodes and I have this like wide ranging complex answer. Um, we love that, those. It's good. But now, now, well, now that I'm on the spot, I'm like, what, what, what was I going to say? Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think dark fiction, I class, I classify dark fiction as anything that is exploring human emotions that are generally uh, shoved to the side um and you know whether that's very frequently especially in like crime and horror fiction that's uh very death heavy um death becomes uh kind of a presence itself in in dark fiction um and i but not always uh so for example i think i think of shirley jackson right um and she undoubtedly uh, dark fiction, Uh, but so much of her stuff doesn't have, uh, isn't focused on death or the threat of death is not present. It's that she is exploring these like literally unilluminated aspects of herself and her feelings and her society. And that draws out an unsettling feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that I think that really sums up exactly like we 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 hear that a lot and it's also it's also the reason that we love it is because it's the only it's the best format that we've seen for exploring things that you'd rather not touch on whether it's mm. you personally or like humanity as a whole um, it's the best venue that we've seen for dealing with things that otherwise. Um, that like kind of like you said, it's like otherwise are like unilluminated. Um, and so I love that answer. And I love I love the reference to Shirley Jackson as well. The lottery is like, it's actually one of my favorite short stories. Um, and so it's uh yeah, no, I, I definitely I definitely sympathize with that. Um, if only just because it it speaks to the egalitarian nature of, of the format. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, dark, dark fiction can be, I, I, I feel like so many people consider dark fiction to be, um, you know, the realm of crime fiction and horror fiction, but um, there's so much stuff that, and, and maybe I have a broader definition of, of dark fiction than most, but as soon as you start touching on areas that um, you might feel uncomfortable bringing up at work, or uh, if you happen to know like a bunch of, uh, or particularly religious people, um, not religious people, I guess, uh, very outwardly moral in scare quotes people yeah. if you start getting uncomfortable bringing up those topics that's a topic for dark fiction um and another thing i i find just absolutely fascinating about dark fiction one of the things that kind of clues me into the kind of books that i'm looking for is i found that very 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 frequently uh so much of what i would consider to be dark fiction drops the three-act structure. I don't know if, if you guys have noticed this uh, or maybe I'm just absolutely completely off base, but I feel like most books um, have this three-act structure where there's build, 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 release, build, 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 release. Uh, and so much dark fiction doesn't apply the release or at least in a way that... Um, would be suggestive of like a traditional act break. It's not, this ends here. It might be a, a slight little let out of pressure or a direction change, but the underlying tension and what is happening uh, in a story does not dissipate at all. And that reflects itself in the structure of the book. Um, Huh. I'd never actually, I'd actually never noticed that, but now I think about it, you're right, is there's very rarely do, uh, very rarely is there like a pressure release in a, in a lot of the books that we read where it's just like, it just keeps going and going and going because the the story requires it to get darker as, yeah. th as things progress without like letting the light it to completely like cleanse the entire area. Or but like the release for the character, you as a reader understand that it's just going to make everything worse later on so nathan mm -hmm, mm -hmm, i love this band so much just made me read the project by courtney summers which oh man does <laughs> not let up and nope. like i have some like i have some my own issues with the book but like man that book does not it's exactly what you said it's conversations that you would not feel comfortable having with like um, outwardly moral person it doesn't follow the three-act structure and it is just it, 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 ow ow yeah. ow for <laughs> pages and pages and pages and and i don't i don't know what it is about me like is there like some kind of hidden masochistic streak but i'm just like <laughs> it was funny i was i was talking with um someone you uh bobby matthews i was texting with him last night um we were talking about our writing uh, and he said, and we were talking about what our goals with writing are. Um, and mine are, what it comes down to is like, I, I'll be honest, my, the only goal I have with my writing is I wanna fucking hurt the reader. 
Like I, I want them to just be like, oh, oh no, oh man, that's, and and because that's what I want in a book. Like I, yeah. I all I want is that feeling of like looking at a page and and something clicking and just realizing like, oh, oh, like just dread. I'm kind of addicted to that feeling of dread, uh, and I think that's another reason why I. Um, why I love so much dark fiction because it's such a safe place to get that feeling and, and explore it. Um, like, you know, if you put me on a roller coaster, I would fill up with dread, but the absolute last thing in the world I want to do is actually get on a roller coaster. Like, absolutely, oh, wow. 100% not. But if you give it to me in a book, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take that train all day. It's the emotional versus like physically being upside down, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Or, or um, you know, you think about it in movies. But I remember, you know, it's, it's not just in books, it's in movies too. But I remember the, the very first time I saw No Country for Old Men, um, there's a, the, the shootout in the hotel. Uh, and there's a scene where Shigur is pacing in the hallway outside. I realized when that scene was over, I like I had this mental thought. I, I thought to myself, holy shit, I don't think I breathed for three minutes. Like, and my body was just racked with tension and I've never felt more alive. Like, that's the thing I love. Totally, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, that, that kind of actually like leads into our next question, which is, what is a book that's had you uh, keep all the lights on the house for an indefinite period of time or left you heartbroken in a million pieces? Um, that's, uh, oh, that's a great question. I can, th- I can think of, I can think of a couple. Um, the, the, the ending of um, Blacktop Wasteland is really, really upsetting to me. Uh, Sean Cosby wrote that book. It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, there are a couple, there are actually, for someone who isn't known or isn't really celebrated for uh, lovable characters, there are a couple of character deaths in Elroy that really get to me. Um, in terms of lights on, I can't remember the name of the story of the specific story, but there's an MR James story that got under my skin so bad. I, I like literal lights on. I'm not sleeping. Uh, I'm not falling asleep till like 5 a.m. Uh, and then the other one was a couple of years ago. Uh, I reread, God, it must have been 10 years ago now. I reread Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. And the there's one very specific scene in there where um and and it's not it's it's probably not the scene you're thinking of um it's the scene where he's uh the main character is just walking through the woods uh and he feels the windigo close by scared the piss out of me like i and i i have i have no idea what it was i don't know if it was just that moment um but you know, just complete fire in your limb in your limbic system. Like, 
tension in every and that that was another night i didn't sleep and now i'll never read that book again i just won't do it it's kind of funny we had someone else um back in season one jacob close he's a uh sci-fi writer mentioned pet cemetery too and I just, based on your guys' descriptions, I don't know if I really want to read it or if I never want to read it. I, one of the two. My, my take is, you know, Stephen King has written something like 60 books. Um, and most of them are, like, his, his hit percentage is significantly better than it should be for putting out that amount of material. Sure. Um, but that book in particular is hands down the best thing he's ever done precisely because you don't know if you can recommend it to people. Um, <laughs> like I'm, you know, uh, you know, I, I read that book as a younger man. I've got a kid now and I can tell you since having a kid, there's no fucking way I'm ever reading that book again. I'm, I just can't put myself there emotionally, but it's fantastic. It's the best thing he's ever done. Yeah, Stephen Stephen King is one of those writers like I have mixed emotions about because because as you said like he's written so much and there are certain things where he's really hit the nail on the head. Uh, for me, it's it's always going to be eleven twenty two sixty three his time travel novel. That one yeah, is always oh yeah. going to fantastic book. Yeah, it's it's it was like the first like really serious thing I read by by King because someone recommended it to me. Um, like the first one of his fiction books I read. Um, because someone recommended it to me. And then uh, the other one was like Bizarre of Bad Dreams, which is one of his short story collections. But the but when he misses, like when he hits, he really hits. But when he misses, he really misses. Yeah. And it's infuriating yeah. because, it, because it's like you have, like he has such like this distribution of talent where it's like he really hits the nail on the head. But then also because he's got that really, really good name recognition, he can get away with things that other authors can't um, like, like book six in the dark tower series. Like I've read like book two, and I think up to book three of the, of the series, but I know what happens in book six where he, it is worse in execution than what you think. It's yeah. awful. <laughs> where it's like, he, do, he doesn't, he doesn't break the fourth wall. He bulldozes over it. Yeah. And not for good reason or to good effect. And I'm like, I like I even heard the premise of it and it immediately turned me off. And I was like, people love the Dark Tower series. And I'm like, how can you get past book six? Or how could you even get past parts of book two? How um, many how many books are there? There's seven. There's seven. Oh. And oh. and the seventh one. The seventh one is over a thousand pages in my copy, at least, and also has a false ending. And so it's like, how do you get away with this crap? Um, I, 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 will, see, I uh, thought it was bad. Sorry, uh, Paul, you go. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm a Dark Tower fan. Okay. I found a way to get past it. But <laughs> it's 100% one of those things where it's like, you read it and you're like, dude, you might want to just try some therapy. Like that, that could be a better solution than, than writing yourself than what you just did. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. I, I was going to say, I thought it was bad when, um, so uh, you guys know Chuck Palahniuk, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he did a graphic, like a, a comic book series of Fight Club 2. So picking up where the book left off, not where the movie left off, but whatever. The first like 
four or five issues, it's seven issues in total, are really good. And you kind of get like these little glimpses of fourth wall breaking. And then the end is just basically it's his response to people to what I took it, it was that it was his response to people demanding a fight club sequel and him being like I didn't want to do this I had no desire to do this so here you go and this is my very real response to not wanting to do this and doing it anyway so whatever I but can, some people can... were like I thought it was lazy and this and that and the other and I'm like I think it's a massive fuck you that made him a ton of money. <laughs> you gotta respect that. Yeah, no, I, I can I can see in concept how that could work. Like, uh, especially if it's the narrator and he's yeah, I, I can see in concept how, how that would work and how the fourth wall would break down. Um, it doesn't break but, down how you think it's gonna break down, and I don't want to spoil it in case you guys do want to read it. But like, it's I'm not curious what you think. Though. I, I might. I, I might check that out now. That sounds really cool. It's. I was really excited because I actually, I didn't get to meet him. I got off work late, but I do have issue four is signed by him. Nice. Oh, very cool. So, um, and then I finished the series and was like, oh, why is this the thing I have a signature on? <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway, um, on like now that we're laughing, uh, what's the last book you read that left you with a positive impression of the world? Um, okay, I kind of have two answers to this. Okay. Uh, the first is uh, the first is uh, the Black Tongue Thief, um, by Christopher. I can't remember. Uh, Christopher Bullman. It's so it's so fucking good. Um, it it's basically uh. Uh, a fan it's i mean it's a fantasy novel um it's a fantasy novel where these characters go out um basically you know on a quest and they're all very different and they turn into this loving odd family on the road um but just you know there's there's small things in it small little details that both really really endear you to the characters but also to the world that it's set in and oh my god it's so good i haven't had that much fun reading a book and i cannot tell you how long um the other my my kind of other answer to that is you know the the last book that made me feel good um i don't i don't really care uh content doesn't really affect me too much so honestly anytime my friends put out a book i'm just thrilled it makes me so happy like that's such a great feeling um that's such a great feeling to read something that your friend wrote that's truly truly special also i think it's kind of funny in our like in i say our but you know like what i mean like the crime thriller dark horror circle yeah Um, your friends but out is probably going to be really happy so just yeah. like hey you made me hate my life i love you you're the best yeah yeah no it, it's it's very much like that like so many people i've met so many people who just can write the darkest most upsetting stuff and then you meet them and they're just the nicest the nicest people you've ever met um 
And I know that everyone says that to the point that it's like almost a cliche, but it's so true. It's so true. It like, yeah, it doesn't mean it's not accurate to be like. Yeah. They are though. And I, I think maybe it's because like, maybe it's a catharsis thing is my theory that you just get all of the dark stuff out in like your writing so that in mm-hmm. real life you'd be like, oh, this is a part of me, but like I have a healthy out- healthy outlet for that. Yeah, so I can just be nice to you. Healthy in air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. With like a little raised eyebrow, like it might be, it might be yeah. healthy. No, I, I, know, I know you guys have talked to him, but um, Curtis Ippolito, Mm-hmm. His his book, Bury the Newspaper Man, it's fantastic. It's so dark. Um, oh yeah. And but when but when that came out, I was just like I was I was thrilled for the guy. And reading it, um, when I when I was reading it again, you're just thrilled. Like, man, you you did this because once once you've written anything of length, and by of length, I mean more than five pages you start understanding like how hard this shit can be um and seeing someone just emerge from the other end of that totally triumphant is i i just man there's not a better feeling in in the world than than being stoked for your friends exactly i still remember some of the first things nathan got published and just being like oh my god yeah yeah, she um, she was a bit of a pageant mom, but I got to pay her back when she got her stuff published. So, it's... yeah, congratulations, by the way. <laughs> oh, thanks. We now have a ongoing thing back and forth where we sign each other's stuff. Fuck you. So <laughs> I was. So he was like, "You have to sign my book," and I was like, "Okay, you know exactly what it's going to be, though." And so I had like <laughs> friends around me when this was happening, and I was like, "Fuck you." I mean, thank you sincerely. Wouldn't have happened without you but also fuck you. And I just got like a couple of weird looks. I was like, no, nah, this is, this is a thing. It's okay. This, this, this is going to be a, this is going to be an ongoing thing. Um, so, but yeah, like the ability to actually rejoice with your friends is always a wonderful thing, but kind of carrying on from that. And we we're talking about like healthy um, outlets for things. What made you decide to write and publish? Write to write and publish. Um, I, I had this, so in, in college, I went through, um, you know, I, we talked about, it, I was getting a literature degree and my plan was always, my plan was always to be a professor. Um, and towards like right before grad school, I was like, nope, nope, hit the eject button on that. And I don't know what it was. I just like understood uh, it would not give me the kind of life that I wanted to live. Um, so I bailed on it uh, and just continued to read a lot. But because I'd read, um, like I said, my focus was on on Southern American literature. So, like, you know, I'd been like through Faulkner and um, God, so I read so much Faulkner. Um, my, my specialty was Cormac McCarthy. So I'd read like the books, right? The books that you're just like, you got to read these. They're fantastic. You might not love every moment of reading them. Um, and I, I can remember this distinctly. Uh, I was in Austin, Texas. Uh, so shout out to the bookstore book people. Uh, and I still know the guy who, who did it, uh, Scott Montgomery. 
He's the bookseller down there in the mystery people section. But I'd always kind of like loved to like, um, for example, I love Dennis Lehane. Um, and I was like, I'm looking for something new to read. That's like not the books, um, but also uh, uh, something that's enjoyable and it's a little dark. And I told him about where I'm from and like I'm from Nebraska. And he recommended to me um, Crimes in Southern Indiana by Frank Bill and The Devil All the Time uh, by Donald Ray Pollock. Uh, and I think actually he also recommended Hell on Church Street by Jake Hinkson. Uh, I did not get it at the time, but I got it later and it's one of the best books I've ever read. Anyway, um, I so, you know, I was, my wife was in grad school, so I was waiting for her at a coffee shop and I opened up crimes in southern indiana and i was like oh oh fuck and then there was something in the back of my head that was like hey man you can do this too um and but then that uh and i was like eh, I, don't, I don't know about that because it was close to the voice in my head but not quite but when i read donald ray pollock it was like oh that's so close to the voice in your head you can do this um so yeah i think i think the book the devil all the time changed my life absolutely and then after that it probably wasn't more than it probably wasn't more than uh a couple of weeks but uh shortly after that i was googling about frank bill found out about shotgun honey and on a whim i wrote a story i sent it off it was accepted uh and that's that's the start of it all like, so, you know, the question of like, what made you want to do this? I don't remember like any point that there was like a decision of like, this is what I want to do. It was such a natural, it was just like this wave of events that plopped me on the shore and I'm suddenly at the party. Um, and then, you know, now like 10 years later, I'm an editor at Shotgun Honey and it's like, damn, like oh. it's, it's wild. It's, 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 I, I think, I think back on it and how those books affected me and the places that they have led me to and the relationships that I've had. Um, and I'm just really blown away by it. Um, you know, like I said, I'm an editor at Shotgun Honey now. The guy who started that site, um, his name's Kent Gorin. Like, I honestly think, like, I, I told him on his birthday this year, I was like, man, I didn't know what it felt like to have an older brother until I met you. But like, like it's, uh, it's just like, you know, I've been so lucky. It's crazy. And I don't remember ever making a conscious decision to do it. <laughs> I just ended up here, uh, you know, whether you want to call that grace or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really, really cool. Probably speaks to your skill. Probably. Oh, thank you. Yeah, probably. Um, but no, I, that's, I love hearing that. Um, if only just for, if only just for the, uh, the, the evidence that a good book literally is the thing that can set you on the path that really determine like that, that makes your life incredibly, incredibly meaningful and enriches your life just because you found the right book at the right time. Uh, it's, it's, it's always great to hear, um, just because I, there are so many people who have the, 
the mindset of oh like you know fiction is not important it's like are you kidding me it can legitimately like change your life like there's i've i've run into people who uh yeah um i I've run into people who are just kind of like, yeah, like fiction, like, why would you waste your time on something that's not real? I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, that is an absolute just just because yeah. your brain is boring doesn't mean mine is excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're boring, just say that. Um, but because you mentioned uh, your your editorship at Shotgun Honey, and then also uh, your because you're also an editor at Rock and a Hard Place. Yeah, still. Yep. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you as a, as an editor, and this is partially for my own, uh, my own self-enlightenment because I'm having this trouble right now. Uh, what are some of the things that you take into consideration when selecting stories for a particular issue of the magazine of like the magazine? I'm thinking specifically about rock and a hard place here. Um, what are things that uh, really help you determine what stories go into which issue and what are some of the things that may determine whether or not a particular story gets into uh, gets into an issue? What are things that kind of like help, like tip you over the line one way or the other? If that makes any sense at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure I understand what you're asking. Um, so we always. It, it rock in a hard place, you know, we, we value a story more than anything. And we are very lucky in that uh, of the number of editors that we have there, we're very aligned on what, on what we think makes a good story. Um, my rule, like in to distill it into a word uh, or a, a phrase, um, my rule is if you don't make me give a shit, I'm not going to give a shit. Like that's that's what it comes down to for most stories, and that's what I look for. Um, it goes back to what I said a, a little bit earlier uh, about like I want to hurt you. Like when when I'm editing, I want to be hurt. Um, when when I'm reading uh, for what goes in the magazine, uh, I want you to hurt me. Uh, as so, what happens when you have a couple of stories that did hurt you? Um, and you're needing to decide what goes in. So often it comes down to like, and, and I hope everyone who is listening who has not been an editor, because every, I think every editor learns this real quick. Um, anyone who's listening, like, please take this to heart. So often it comes down to um, <laughs> the most boring bullshit. Why one story gets in and one doesn't. So for example, this upcoming issue we have of Rock in a Hard Place, we had three stories that prominently featured guitars. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things, like sometimes things happen, you get, um, you get, you know, there's probably like an anthology call for guitar stuff. Actually, that's not the case. Because what I'm, what I'm saying is these three stories were all seriously good. Um, and we figured, hey, we can probably get away with two of these because two of them are different enough. Um, but there was this other one that was like, yeah, we like it. It's good. It's just not quite or it's not quite as interesting as these other two. And it has the guitar. If it hadn't featured the guitar, it probably would have made it in. Um, but 
instead that got bumped out for um for something that you know we're, we're not we're not running a guitar magazine and it would have been a little overkill right just a random theme issue for rocking a hard play it's no big yeah deal. yeah so stuff like that uh stuff like that comes up um the other thing that we do at rocking a hard place um uh well I'll, I'll kind of break it down um shotgun honey has the gauntlet that's that's what ron calls it there are three editors at any given time and to get in you need at least two yeses ideally you get yes from everybody that's how we go um with um rock in a hard place it's a lot more complex like spreadsheets get involved um where the uh, six of us go through and literally rank stories one through 10. And then we've got a column in the spreadsheet that like gives the average of the score. And then we have like what the cutoff score would be. And then we go through those selections and say, okay, is this an issue? And then maybe, so yeah, it's, it's complex. Definitely sounds it for sure. I uh, think, and I mean, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think one of the things people don't always understand on the other side of it, too, is that it is so subjective. It is so incredibly subjective. So I, can, uh -huh. I can't even imagine trying to get the subjectivity and then you get a spreadsheet involved. That sounds like a nightmare. Well done you for sticking with it. <laughs> well, we've, I mean, we've had stories, too, though. Like, we've had stories where um, we've had stories where I, for example, will say, yes. My score on this story is one. I think it's fucking incredible. I think we need to do this. I think we will be doing a disservice to our readers if we don't publish it. And then another person is like, this is some bullshit, 10. And then we <laughs> got to figure it out, right? We got to sort it out and figure out, okay, what's your, um, why is this story promoting such strong reactions? Um, the story, so <laughs> this is funny. Um, I was asked to join Rock in a Hard Place because they published one of my stories and they were like, this guy gets what we're going for. And then the editor who was stepping away said, you, uh, Nikki Dolson, who, who I've been friends with for a long time, she was like, you guys like Paul's story so much, like you should ask him to take my spot. So that's how I got to come to Rock in a Hard Place. But one of the editors, I know for a fact, gave the story that everyone else was like, he gets it. Let's let's get bring him on board. One of the editors was like, no, one. This is this is insanity. I can't deal with this. <laughs> and that's totally cool. Like, you know, you're not gonna hit a hundred percent all the time. No. But that's yeah. wild. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. So you've been published, clearly already obtaining some sort of notoriety. Um you've had a successful career so far and are on track for more success we both have so much respect for where you are um as you're looking at the literary world and your influences as you continue to gain notoriety who do you want your work to be compared to or who would you say your influences are if that's too yeah um i mean like influences is so hard because i'm like flannery o'connor cormac mccarthy Dennis Lehane, James Baldwin. Uh, that's where I draw a ton of, uh, in, in terms of crime, uh, like 
Elroy, that's where I draw so much of, like, I, I, I feel like writing lives on a sentence to sentence level. And those are the influences of my sentence to sentence level. As far as the kind of topics I explore or plots that I find myself in the middle of, um, I would describe myself hopefully as, um, I mentioned Donald Ray Pollock. Um, I still think The Devil All the Time is the most brilliant novel I've ever read. I think Laird Barron is like one of the most unsung writers in all of American fiction. I think Megan Abbott is just God tier. Um, you know, uh, and then down the line in terms of crime fiction, mostly Elroy again, like it's it's all just so yeah my my sentence by sentence level is just totally other thing and then but the stories i want to tell are from over here and it just becomes this like mashup of things that hopefully works it does it mm -hmm. does um i'll also say this i think that's the first time i've ever heard um both James Baldwin and Flannery O'Connor listed as uh, someone's influences because they're on such opposite sides of the spectrum. Um, they, they, they are, but I mean, they are, but I, I think, like speaking of James Baldwin specifically, um, I think I, I love Flannery O'Connor. Um, I jokingly refer to as St. Flannery. Um, on the little flag above my desk right now, there's a pin um, that my friend got me when he visited her farm of her face. So like, she's literally looking down at me right now. Um, <laughs> Flannery O'Connor is a fantastic writer who I'm being honest here. I don't know that she put it all together as frequently as her um, reputation would suggest. On the other hand, James Baldwin, who's, you know, and, and it's, it's this thing in American literature where I feel like James Baldwin just gets like shuffled off to like, oh, he's a, he's an African-American writer. He's a black writer. Going to meet the man is the single best story and short story in all of American literature, like hands down. But when you read that story and then you read Flannery, you can see that they're they have different concerns but they're telling the same dirt um it's it's about sin and this haunted land that we have to live on and the like transgressions we have to make with against ourselves to get through the day um and it's it's just yeah, so I, I don't think they're as different as they appear, but I also think, yeah, there's they're, they're definitely the same dirt, but they're digging two different holes. Yeah, no, I I never thought about it that way. I think the I think the other thing with Baldwin is that so often when people think about his writing, the first thing that comes to mind is not his fiction, it's his essays. Yeah. And as and as a result, people tend to they they wrongly tend to lump him in as just like, oh, he's, he's, he's just like, like you said, he's just a black author when in reality he's, he is and he isn't. Um, he's talking about a lot of things that are very, 
that are unique in his own personal experience, but then are also very universal. It's about things such as um, also things like a sense of belonging, a place of being accepted, a place of trying to understand what your role is in the world, um, particularly yeah, when like the world the... doesn't want to accept you. Yeah. yeah. The Re- first one I read of others him. definitions. Yeah. What was that uh, person? Oh, it's fine. Uh, the first one I read of him was uh, The Fire Next Time, which is not fiction. At all. <laughs> no. Beautifully written. But mm. if you didn't know he did other stuff and that's your impression of him, I think that, that is like, him. The Fire Next Time is, I think, like the second book that comes up. So I think, Nathan, you hit it right on the head is that it's not necessarily the people don't respect him for his fiction. It's that that's not what's being pushed when it comes to James Baldwin. So yeah, I think if you, uh, um, if with anyone else, like, right, like other, if you're just like walking the street, we're like, my biggest influences are Flannery O'Connor and James Baldwin, people would be very confused, but I like the way that you explained <laughs> that. And even yeah. I was just like, hang on, it took me a second. Like, but yeah, I think that that totally makes sense from what they're going. So Moving on to your work, um, do you want to give us a little bit, bit of a lead-in for the work you want to read for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read a section of the Low White Plain, where so uh, Low White Plain is. Uh, it's a sort. It's a story about two basically. They're professional grifters. Uh, they've been on the run for years after a job in Philadelphia went sideways and they kind of sustain themselves by pulling jobs uh, all across the country. And they're written, each each entry is written by a different author um, and it's super fun to be asked and to write for, uh, even though I truly did not think I would ever write anything said in a series. Um, in The Low White Plain, they have, just come off a particularly disastrous attempt at a con in Texas. They have uh, more bad people than usual at their heels. They are short on money. They are caught in a blizzard and they hear of a job that from the start, they think this honestly could go either way, but they don't really feel like they have any choice other than to take it. Um, this chapter, uh, this, uh, section that I'm going to read is from shortly after they meet the shady client who is offering them a job and they set their plans for a con in motion. Um, okay. Awesome. Take it away. <clears throat> he drove until he was sure they were not being followed. Rachel growing increasingly exasperated his refusal to let go of what had happened down south. It wasn't until the snow had stopped and full dark had settled over the city and the roads lay empty behind them that he gave up and conceded they were alone. Another motel, another night spent with the TV off, pacing in front of the window while Rachel worked the laptop. The motel sat on the outskirts of Lincoln, brown siding hanging disjointedly from the corners of door frames, skeletons, dirty windows. Across the cracked parking lot, a a dimly lit sign proclaimed Goid Rates. This is nicer than the last spot we were in, Rachel said as they entered the room, 
though they both knew it was the same thing as declaring one rabid dog sweeter than another, already foaming at the mouth, simply because the infection hadn't yet taken hold. She settled in and Sam left again, taking a short drive to McDonald's, his eyes flittering back and forth between the road and the rear view. His gut churned, his sense that something was off raging behind his eyes, underneath his skin. He drove with the music off, an attempt to keep the agitated at a minimum, but the dread, the paranoia crept deeper in. He knew it was irrational, that so far the only people who knew they were in town had not seemed like particularly dangerous people, but the source of his worry, whether it was Dallas and the art dealer and the cartel, the gunman from Philly, constantly looking for them, or this place, this job they'd been asked to do, or something else could not be nailed down, and he knew it would not leave until he could give it a face and a name. Vile on his teeth, he slammed his fist into the steering wheel. Rachel wouldn't like seeing him like this, wound up and scared, and though his love for her was absolute, he was deeply happy she'd stayed back at the motel. They'd been together so long, had seen so much of each other, and their best moments and their worst, but there were sides to him he wanted to keep secret. His worry, his impatience, the way this life ate at him these days, which was the most important truth he could not bring himself to tell her, but also the one buried the deepest. He pulled through the drive-thru and ordered what Rachel called the poor road warrior meal, grilled chicken sandwich and packets of vinaigrette. Back in the motel room, he'd throw the buns away, pour the dressing in and shake the box, a relatively healthy meal for just $6. Snow started again. As he drove back to the motel, he caught a set of headlights in the rear view. He didn't know if it was because of the, of the spacing or their height or the particular temperature they shone, but something about them was familiar. And once again, he felt that lurch in his stomach, that bile on the back of his teeth. He tapped the brakes, trying to catch the front plate, unsure what he'd do if he saw tex either Texas or Pennsylvania, but under the glow of the headlights, he couldn't make out anything at all. Not that it mattered. It wasn't like pro professional killers didn't know how to rent or steal cars. He cracked the window, spit it into the whipping night, then turned off onto the first road he came to. Barbed wire and faded green signposts and dead blowing grass. Pavement gave, gave way to gravel underneath. Sam slowed, eyes still stuck on the rear view, and watched as the headlights behind him continued on straight. He waited for relief, but none came. His fingers jittery, like worms twitching in the dirt. He reached up and turned on his own light, and turned his own lights off, then waited on the shoulder of the road just in case someone came back. No one did. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the sections I, I got to read. Um, I was actually reading shortly before we started the interview. And the thing I love about it was that without there being any sort of, uh, without, without the, like there being like any sort of like internal monologue, it's, it's depicting the fact that though this character, um, Sam is, is part of a team, there's really just this very deep loneliness that that's in him. Um, and it's all starting, it's kind of starting to come out in, in like these moments to himself where, even though he he knows that he can 
he knows that he has gone through a lot of things with this with with Rachel. He knows that he can't keep going the way that he has because of because of the fact that they because of the fact that they that the life they've lived is is starting to get to him. I guess is the best way of putting it. Um, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. No. Um, it, yeah. He's he's picked a life that breeds anxiety. Um, and Rachel has always had this ability to let that bounce off of her. Um, and whereas he, and he has too, but in the face of a couple of particularly bad setbacks, he's losing grasp on that skill. And with that, losing an understanding of himself. And anytime you have a hole in yourself um like a a void in your understanding of who you are like anxiety and paranoia are going to fill it if you don't get that shit taken care of quickly uh and that's that's very much where he is uh and one of the one of the things i like about the low white plane is that as ultra violent and kind of fucked up as a lot of it is as much as it's filled with dread and anxiety, there's this like hopeful thread in it too of him finding his way back to her and to himself. If, I mean, if you can call it hopeful that two like truly despicable people are finding ways to continue on. That, that's, that's something that, um, that's something I, that I think, sorry, this is this is a stray thought I had, but um, you know, it's really reflective of the power of narrative and the power of structure. That throughout this book, you know, Sam's going through a bad time, and you feel for him, but at the same time, they're they're the worst people in the book. <laughs> like, you know, they they are they are not not good people, um, but they're the heroes. And I just, I, I think it's so cool that narrative and structure and uh, literary expectations about having a protagonist can make you go like, yeah, you're bad, but these people are bad too. So I'm, I'm siding with you. I love it when that happens, but I also somewhat hate it when it happens. So there was one book where like, you didn't real, like it was definitely set up that the main narrator was an asshole, like, psychopath asshole and at the end I was still like but he didn't win and that annoys me like I don't like this book now because I really (laughs) wanted him to get away with it um but yeah I think that that's I love I love that when you're reading it from an asshole character's perspective because you still care and there's still stake in it but it's like it's okay if they get hurt like a little bit like it's mm -hmm. like I don't want them to but it's okay it's fine they're 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 human and they deserve all the like empathetic recognition that any other human would get um they just we somehow because they're our protagonists we can totally look past it when they don't give that same regard to others but we are currently giving to them absolutely there's um there's also something to be said for i think the way that you you put it whereas in like there's this hope that sam can kind of come back to himself and uh, a better understanding of himself there's 
hope is such a dangerous thing to play with in in fiction it's it seems at least this, this is kind of my perspective please someone correct me if i'm wrong um but when you're giving the audience hope that something can happen you either have to really deliver on it or you risk breaking them the worst way possible which i think for which i think for you is totally fine considering your repeated statement of i want to hurt you um <laughs> but it's it's definitely one of those things where it's so hard to pull off um and i really i really want to see how this goes um for for sam and the fact that he is like the fact that he and rachel are like the worst people in the book it also reminds me of uh, a clockwork orange which mm. I don't, I don't mean to compare. I don't mean to compare Sam and Rachel to the main character in *A Clockwork Orange*, but I can't remember his name for the life of me. Um, but this, like, the the main guy in *A Clockwork Orange*, which I wish I could remember his name, but I can't. From the get go, you're informed from his own perspective that he's not a good guy. That he's Alex. An absolute Alex. That's it. Alex is not a good guy. He's an absolute monster. I, it's, I think it was chapter two where he describes gang raping someone's wife. And mm-hmm. yet throughout the book, you still have this sentiment of like, maybe he can be redeemed or like you still, or you feel bad when he goes through certain things, like certain things that are very, very, uh, that are designed to make him better but you still feel bad when he goes through them. I'm like, I hate that. I feel bad for this person who is a monster. Um, But it's, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a similar feeling that I'm getting when you're, when you're saying it's like he and Rachel, like Sam and Rachel are the worst people in the book. Well, well, so let me, let me, let me, let me back that up just a little bit. (laughs) The other people in this book are monsters as well. Truly yeah. monstrous. The only thing that makes Sam and Rachel, I, 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 I don't think they're on the same level. I just think they're bad people. Okay, like right they're bad people, and they stumble into a nest of like truly awful people. Okay. Um, uh, but and, and but the thing, you know, like, sorry, I'm just like stumbling all over myself here. Um, yeah. That's that's one of the things that's interesting about a series, though, right? Like, if you add up everything that Sam and Rachel have done over the course of a series, terrible people, hands down, no question. How much have they stolen? How many people have they ripped off? How many broken lives have they left in their wake? Um, but the cool thing about doing this for me was I was like, I'm, I'm going to write this as a standalone. Like, I'm really not going to focus on any of that. I just want to show them as like two broken, desperate people. Um, and I, but at the same time, when I was writing, I think that might be why I made the antagonist so awful is because I recognize that like, you know, they, they've, Sam and Rachel have a trail of wreckage behind them too. Like, like, and, and that, so, so anyone who I want to have audience if I want my audience sympathy with them, the people who they're going up against have to be kind of next level, next level shitty. I yeah. suppose if you want to like be moral about it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and and I, and I I really want to see like how bad the the antagonists get. 
um, just because even from like the, like I think I'm about a third of the way into it now. And even, and even from that perspective, you're already getting the sense that there's really something diabolical, like at the, at the base of, at the base of the antagonist. Um, and I really want to see like what develops next. Uh, so I, I don't want to like, I don't want to like give up like any too many spoilers or whatnot, but I want to see like how Sam and Rachel deal with that. Um, because yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to make the comparison between. Uh, no, 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 yeah, I, yeah. I didn't take it that way. No. Yep. Um, I, I think one of the things that really struck out to me about the part that you read is the, um, the relationship between Sam and Rachel and that it does feel very real in that you can have someone that you love and you care for very deeply. And you're still like, I'm just not like, there are parts of me you don't need to see. And then the resulting like catastrophe that results from not being honest with your partner. Um, love that. See that all the time. I'm currently um, binge watching certain reality TV shows about online personas. <laughs> uh, it is uh, actually just literally yesterday watched this episode where the girl was like, I'm having trauma with my mom and I can't talk to my husband. And, my, and the husband was like, I think she wants to break up with me and like made a fake profile and then just became her like emotional outlet. And she was like, I'm emotionally like using someone that's not my husband. And he was like, I lied to my wife. And then like, resulting whatever and i'm not saying that it's going to be that dramatic in your book but i can definitely see like there will be some moment of you weren't honest with me and that's just that's just life that's just people because we're messy that that's and and i also think too like when when you're in a relationship for long enough if you start withholding part of yourself the other person knows yeah and depending on their experience with you they know that like either they'll come back around or I need to coax them back or, and, and you definitely, you definitely see that. Um, this, like without giving too much away, uh, it does go pretty dark and diabolical um, kind of complications are added and then more complications are added and uh, things get uh, pretty violent and pretty tense, um, but it has a happy ending. So Define uh, happy. Yeah, so that so that was when I when I wrote it, when I wrote it and I was done, I I remember I was like sitting here and I was looking at my computer and I was like, well that's that's it. That's the end. And and it felt fucking weird for me because like I hadn't like you know left one of my main characters in like a ditch filled with snow runoff or something. <laughs> like, you know, but they they are um it, I mean, it's a series, so you know that like him and Rachel are gonna keep on keeping on. Um, but it felt like oddly earned, and as someone who'd never written a earned happy ending before, it was it was satisfying, but it was also like, oh, so that's that's kind of what that feels like. <laughs> it's not because everyone after. gruesome, ghastly harm. <laughs> Yeah, I need to take a yeah. shower. Mm, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like this feeling of actually trying to give people a decent ending. I don't. I don't like this. Um, I I had one. Um, I had a story come out last year. It's called "The Hope of Lost Mares," and I fully intended um, for it to be uh, a happy ending until like I'm on the page where it's wrapping up, and I was like. 
And I stopped and I thought about what I was writing and I went and I looked back at the story and I was like, oh, I've already planted all the little seeds that if I want, I can make them bloom right here. <laughs> and then they bloomed. Like I had nothing to do with also, it. Also, I'm sorry, that's your title and you wanted me to believe it was gonna be a happy ending. No, no, <laughs> I reject it. That's the that's that's the like the moment the moment where you're like on the last page and you think I can make this a happy ending I can I can do this it can be hopeful it can be decent and then you get to the page and it's like I really can't do this 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 doesn't work at all yeah I've I've already laid the groundwork unconsciously for this to go real sideways real quick uh, so. That, that was actually a fantastic experience writing that and having that realization that like, oh no, you thought you were doing one thing, but your 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 inner brain was like ten steps ahead of you. That's uh, that's always great. <laughs> Love that. I don't know when I was writing my book, I knew what the last line was going to be, and there was no question of like how depressing it was going to be. <laughs> So I got like the uh, book, there was like a book sirens thing for like advanced reader copies. And you could have, you could spoil it for yourself if you were an advanced reader. And it said like, these are the themes. These are all the trigger warnings. Cause there were, there were so many. And then they were like swearing. And I was like, that's the least of anyone's concerns, but cool. <laughs> um, and, the, and then it was like type of ending click to see. And it's, uh, so like everyone, like you could just spoil it for yourself and be like, oh yeah, no, it's a sad ending. And I was like, I don't know if anyone gets to page like 100 and still has hope, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I, I didn't realize that people could do that on like advanced reader copies and stuff and like spoil the ending for themselves. No, I've never heard of that either. Sad. That's insane. Why would you ever want that? It's like- I feel I like there are people who really don't want to read something sad and depressing or like really don't want something that wraps up with a tiny little bow and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But then I feel like it helps them if you are trying to be like an advanced reader that you don't take a copy and then potentially give someone a bad review just because it's not something that you wanted to read. That's very true. That's very true. I, I actually hadn't considered that. Um, but yeah, no, for, for me, it's like that, that, that spoiling of the ending. It's, it's, I, I, I had a habit for a while of like reading the last page of the book before I like really got too far into it. So I kind of knew how it oh, ended. Or what. Oh, I've done that. I've absolutely was, done that. I, I watched when Harry met Sally at a very young age. And for some reason, that was the thing <laughs> I took away from the movie. Um, it was like, it's not the scene in Katz's Deli. It's not the like endless dialogue of like, will they, won't they, all that crap. It's Billy Crystal's admission, like 20 minutes into the movie is that whenever he starts a book, he reads the last page first. So before, so if he dies before he finishes it, he knows how it ends. And I'm like, why is that the thing? Like I was 12 when I first saw this movie, which not a good film to see when you're 12 years old one but oh that's not my honestly like I'll watch that like say there was this tv show called normal people that was on hulu uh, and I watched an episode and I was like oh this is a really annoying will they won't they situation and then I saw that it was a book yeah, so I went Sally to look Rooney, up, yeah yeah so I went to look up the book and I went to look up like the show and what happened in the show and I was like yeah I'm really glad I didn't waste my time on this okay bye <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> just valid. not going to satisfy me it's valid that's valid. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's things like that. Like I, I understand why people wouldn't want to do it for an advanced reader copy, but there was a certain point, like after I had done that for enough years or for enough books, um, that I stopped doing it because I was like, why do I like? What, like I'm not gonna die if I if I die before I finish this book. I'm not gonna care how it ends. Also, um, it's not even that you're not gonna care how it ends. It's like you're not gonna know if it was deserved or not. If that last page was earned. That's very true. Or that's like how true. it all tied together. That's very true. Um, speaking of tying it together, uh, I think we're gonna have to wrap this up soon. Is there anything else you want the audience to know about uh, the Low White Plane or your work in general uh, before we wrap this up, Paul? Um, no, I, I think, you know, as much as we're on a podcast talking about dark fiction and I said that I want to hurt you and as an editor, I want to read stories that hurt me. I want tension and dread. All that said, um, you know, I think honestly, I'm not, I'm, if, if that doesn't sound like fun to you, like I, I probably would skip uh, skip most of my stuff and I'm not saying that in like an edgelordy like oh yeah I'm so bleak and violent so or anything dark. like that yeah it's uh, it's not it's not that it's just like I if I'm doing what I think I'm doing there I there should be um, an emotional reaction um, but all that said like you know um, if you're interested in it but you think like hey that's not for me like please just you know take a take a look at my twitter feed i shout out other writers all the time who and i promise that like if i'm shouting out someone it's something truly truly fantastic so if you've heard what i'm if you're interested in what uh my shit sounds like cool like let's rock and roll if not um check me out on twitter and uh i can recommend some truly truly great books written by truly great people who don't um that you know don't have enough readers it's like what nate said a little bit earlier like you never know when you are going to find that book um and thankfully i have friends that i am convinced have written those books for someone they're just out there so either way uh i hope you dig it Excellent. so your work maybe not for the people who need to click and see if it's a happy ending or not but you know where to point those people to go yes yes exactly exactly awesome well thank you so much for talking to us i am so excited for your book and to read it and sing all the praises um but yeah thanks so much for coming and talking to us yeah. thank you for having me i appreciate yep. it and for any of those who uh want to I want to check out Paul's Twitter. It's at Paul J. Garth um, on Twitter. And for us, uh, please like, subscribe, share this podcast via Spotify with your friends or rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you'd like to submit any work to us or if you have anything that you want us to promote, please either hit us up on Twitter at Podcast Waters or email us at darkwaterspodcast at gmail.com. And until the next time, please remember to always look beneath the surface. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.